Welcome to this episode of our Talking Sea podcast series. Today we will have a look uh, at our Emerging Europe M&A report. It's a great report and uh, it uh, contains a lot of statistics and background stories do, uh, regarding the transactions that have been taking place in the year 2020. In this podcast, we would like to focus on four areas which we found uh, very interesting and in which there have been developments that uh, stood out. Uh, from, uh, from the other sectors. First of all, is the abundance of high value and high profile deal in the e-commerce business transactions. Secondly, we will look at and discuss a little bit about the increasing number of IPOs and dual track processes, which we have seen as an avenue to exiting uh, companies from the region for several investors. Another trend is uh, regarding the telecom and IT sector, uh, in which we have seen a large number of transactions, this sector even overtaking the real estate as the busiest M&A sector for last year. Of course, last and not least, uh, in the infrastructure sector, we see renewable energy as still a buzzing sector, which lots of uh, transactions um, uh, forecasted for this year, but also beyond. In order to talk about these trends in the market, I have uh, here with me three partners from our region, Helen Rodwell, the managing partner of our Prague office, Eva Talmachi, a corporate partner from uh, London, but doing transactions throughout the CE region, as well as Slavomir Czerwinski, one of our corporate partners from our Warsaw office. Helen, let's start with you. We all know that the pandemic has accelerated the growth of e-commerce businesses, and it comes as no surprise that some of the largest transactions have taken place last year in this sector. And this is a trend that we see continue also for this year. Could you perhaps tell us a bit more about your uh, take on this on this sector? Thanks, Horia. And you're absolutely right. Uh, the recent pandemic has indeed highlighted the value of the e-commerce, um, the value of e-commerce for consumers and accelerated e-commerce penetration. And with that, we've seen a number of very notable transactions in Central Europe in the sector. Um, most notably, I suppose, the uh, Allegro transaction in Poland, um, Allegro being one of the most recognised e-commerce brands in the region. Um, and that business was listed on the Warsaw Stock Exchange in October of last year. I think at the time of listing, it had already reached through the pandemic, something like 20 million visitors a month uh, to its website. And on the first day of trading, um, it closed, I believe, somewhere around 60 or 70% up on its IPO price and immediately became the most valuable company on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. That transaction alone um, fueled interest in a in a similar exit for a number of other e-commerce businesses. And we subsequently saw Advent list in post um, in Amsterdam. And it's now rumoured that the Czech online e-commerce business, mal.cz, will also look to exit through an IPO this year. So indeed, um, some very notable large transactions um, in e-commerce over the last 12 months. I think the other interesting point of note um, is that online grocery delivery has become 
a key area of interest for investors. Um, concentrating specifically on startups where there's an opportunity, of course, to innovate. Um, and across Europe, we see we saw a number of investments take place in Q4 2020 or the first quarter of this year. We saw Gorillas in Berlin, um, Ocado in the UK, Vault from Finland, um, Spanish Glovo uh, and Dutch Crisp. And of course, uh, in January of this year, we also saw uh, the Czech online grocer, Rolik, um, do a significant fundraising of close to 200 million euros. Rolik is the leading online grocer in the Czech market and has already expanded into both the Hungarian and the Austrian markets. The funds raised in the first quarter of this year are intended for further expansion um, of its footprint into the German market and other Central and Eastern European markets, such as Romania. So that was, again, a very high value, very successful transaction, one we were very pleased to be a part of on behalf of several of the, several of the investors into, uh, into Hrolik. And I imagine that this trend, both in the larger transaction space um, and in the startups, um, will continue during the pandemic and, and beyond. Thank you, Helen. As you all pointed out, we all do our shoppings from grocery to any other types of uh, uh, goods from uh, you know behind our desks, being at home or in the office. How do you see the consumer product and retail sector evolve this year and in the coming years? Yes, it's interesting, Horia, uh, isn't it, to consider whether this is just a temporary change of habits uh, as a result of the pandemic or a permanent uh, change of the of behaviours of consumers. And I think, you know, having seen even some of the relaxation of the restrictions across Europe, um, the level of activity in the e-commerce space doesn't seem to have uh, dropped at all. Um, and, in fact, there's, you can read often about the businesses being overwhelmed by the level of um activity they have and uh, the complexity of, of the logistics in, in dealing with the, the level of demand at the moment. Um, so my feeling is that um, whatever growing trends there were before um, the pandemic, um, those trends have been accelerated, but they have also stuck and uh, our habits in using e-commerce are here to stay. From a Central European perspective, the retail and consumer product sector, I think, always lagged somewhere behind Western Europe and had some way to catch up. This increasing trend um, for the use of e-commerce, I suspect, may mean that uh, we skip some stages of evolution where retailers who were looking to enter the market or the vast Central European market who hadn't been here before may decide no longer to go a more traditional route with, route with shop fronts, but um, to stick purely with an e-commerce uh, model for entry to the market. Um, and perhaps one other interesting point of note is that uh, we've seen very recently Amazon enter the Polish market. Um, so whilst I still shop uh, through Amazon.de or Amazon.co.uk, uh, my Polish colleagues now would shop through Amazon.pl, um, another 
penetration of e-commerce um, by one of the most significant global players into the Central European market. Thank you. Um, shifting uh, focus a little bit now, um, we have seen that uh, the Allegro deal and also the very recent Impulse deal have underlined the great potential of uh, exits from uh, companies in the region through the stock exchange and public markets generally. Uh, this is uh, We have seen this trend in the e-commerce business, but also in the other businesses as well. There's not only an uptick in IPOs as such, but in dual track processes where uh, sellers are trying to maximize value by running an M&A and an IPO process in parallel. Slavic, I know that you have been involved in a similar process uh, very recently. Can you perhaps comment on this trend in the region? Uh, sure. Uh, indeed, we have seen an increased number of IPOs in CE uh, in the last couple of uh, months. Uh, this is because recently companies which are being listed uh, achieve higher valuation than what you can get in a private M&A transaction. So the institutional investors, such as private equity houses, uh, structure their exit processes as a dual track process. And usually recently IPO indeed prevails. Um, as you mentioned, a couple of weeks ago, we advised Alvin International on their exit from Impost, a company which provides logistic services for e-commerce. And the process was structured as a dual track um, and ended up with the IPO of Impost on Euronext uh, Amsterdam. Uh, the company's market cap immediately after the IPO was roughly 8 billion uh, euro, uh, which is an amazing result. And there are also other businesses uh, in the region which might be looking uh, at the IPO, such as Emac, UAPAT, or Mall.cz. Um, rumor also has it that there could be other um, big telco infra deal listed this year. So I think that we will see uh, more dual tracks and more IPOs uh, in the region, uh, which is quite different what you might expect in the rest of the uh, of the Europe, where IPO is still. Um, Kind of uncommon. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that Amsterdam and Frankfurt may become a new hub for the IPOs. Um, both those venues offer um, an extensive access to inter international um, institutional investors and a stable uh, regulatory framework. So I think that they might be uh, become more and more popular from the companies from the region to go for the for the IPO. Thank you, Slavic. Uh, it's interesting to to see that uh, you know sellers are not only interested in IPOs, but they tend to run dual processes, dual track processes. And I want I was wondering why, because we all know that uh, you know these such dual track processes are quite expensive because you basically cost the uh, pay the cost of the advisor for both an IPO and an MNA track process. Well, you're absolutely right that uh, dual track process is far more complex and, let's say, resource intensive than a single track M&A or IPO process. Uh, it also requires uh, much more management destruction, which might be painful for the for the target. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, dual track offers a, a lot of benefits, such as um, flexibility and greater protection against any fluctuation uh, which may come. Um, so, as you know, both M&A and IPO have pros and cons. Uh, which might be very relevant depending on the on the circumstances. So, for example, in case of IPO, um, it gives you more flexibility when it comes to the size of size of the stake, uh, which might be put up for sale. 
uh, so you can either um, uh, offer a majority or minority stake, while in case of M&A transaction, you will probably go for, for a majority deal. Um, on the other hand, M&A transaction is far more certain uh, than IPO. So in case of IPO, you first have to dispose a minority stake, and then you wait a couple of months before you uh, proceed with the further sell downs. So in the meantime, things may change, the market condition may change, and you may end up with a totally different outcome uh, than what you initially um, expected. So uh, this dual track process offers you uh, flexibility and an option to choose what's best for you, uh, depending on the, on the specific circumstances. Uh, but I think that the crucial thing, uh, um, which actually attracts a lot of investors to go uh, with a dual track uh, mechanism, is the valuation. So because this structure allows you to achieve the highest valuation. And I think that was the main reason why we saw so many um, IPOs in, in the region recently and why we may expect more to come. Thank you, interesting. Shifting a little bit to our third um, uh, topic for the day, we have seen an increased interest in the telco and infrastructure sectors with uh, many transactions going on in the fiber uh, sectors, many deals, um, that have, uh, you know, helped this uh, sector increase to the largest uh, sector in, value, in volume activity for last year and in second and the second largest sector in value. Eva, you are quite close to the technology space and to this sector. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit about why the sudden interest in this, um, in this sector compared to the last few years? I believe it is fair to say, Horea, that the pandemic only accelerated some of the drivers which were already well underway before the pandemic, especially the digitalization of many sectors and the demand for high-speed and reliable connectivity. But due to these demands, the telecom industry has had to find new ways of uh, expanding its digital infrastructure in a cost-efficient uh, way and thereby helping a wider rollout of uh, 5G and other technologies of the future, such as Internet of Things or smart cities. So what we've been seeing is that as more and more mobile operators started to share infrastructure to reduce cost and improve coverage, the towers became valuable assets that companies have looked to monetize. Some of the biggest European players, including a number of our clients, such as Deutsche uh, Telekom, Telefonica or Orange, are forging their own past, retaining ownership or carving out their assets into separate companies that they still control. These restructurings allow um, the telecom groups um, to unlock the value while moving that uh, of the balance sheet, so improving their financials. We've also seen an alternative route um, where many operators have cashed in and sold thousands of to specialist uh, management companies. For example, the Blackstone-backed um, Phoenix Towers or the Spanish Cernex. And the latter has been uh, admittedly the biggest mover and shaker out there in the telecom infra market over the past years. As most of us know, um, they had a very extensive shopping spree over the past five years, and it now controls around one-fifth of the European um, tower uh, portfolio and they collect rent for the use of the divested tower cores, um, which are continued to be used by the telecom companies. Um, so these are the main drivers, um, in my view. Thank you. 
But why do you think uh, why do you think that the infrastructure funds have uh, such a renewed interest in this sector because they are relatively new in the region? Very good question. Um, in my view, these transactions uh, offer steady and predictable revenue stream in an industry where the demand is exponentially growing. So, understandably, attracts a major interest from infrastructure funds as well. Um, so it is not surprising to see that this trend is sweeping through our region as well. And um, uh, most notable um, is Poland, where we've seen a hive of activity in the local telecom space, including the sale of play um, uh, to French Iliad and the subsequent divestment of play's um, tower portfolio to Salex, or the proposed sale of Bell's, um active and passive infrastructure assets, and the proposed transactions involving UPC and Orange Poland's uh, fiber assets. So it's a very, very busy space out there. And I think we've seen only the, the beginning um, of this um, hard activity. Thank you, Eva. Let's hope that the, the sector will continue to be very busy and we will be busy working on deals in this sector. Um, now, moving on to another buzzing sector, also in the infrastructure field, uh, which is the renewable energy field. We have seen lots of transactions going on across the EU, from Poland to Bulgaria over the last few years, and this sector seems to continue to be quite hot. Um, we see, we've seen a very large deal in Romania, 100 megawatt plus uh, signing last, uh, in December, last December. We have seen transactions in Bulgaria, like the Met Group acquisitions. We have seen Enery doing various transactions across the region. We have seen, of course, in Poland, GIG being quite active. So there's a, there's quite a lot of precedent here. And, uh, you know, probably there will be quite a, new, a lot of new transactions uh, going on in the future. And there will be some market shifting, uh, uh, um, you know, occasions and opportunities such as, you know, the passing of the new offshore law in Poland, which I think will have a, a significant impact on the market. However, uh, I understand that, you know, some of this interest in the market is also also driven by uh, IT sector uh, companies, and that, that seems a bit, uh, you know, out of place. And I was just wondering whether you could uh, comment on that, Eva. Yes, thank you, Horia. So maybe as a starting point, I, I fully agree with you that uh, the renewable energy uh, space remained a very, very significant hotspot for the makers as, as the broad range of incentives and uptake contracts have made it very attractive to investors, even though that the generous feed-in tariffs of the past decades is obviously no longer sustainable and have been replaced by new support systems, including variable um, auction contracts or power purchase agreements. And this is very much the latter, the power purchase agreements, which uh, are um, among one of the drivers of the um, increasing spread of data centers. They consume a lot of energy. Um, all the equipment, servers, storage, networking, the whole lot is powered by the electricity. So they need reliable and cost-efficient electricity supplies and using renewable energy to a number of other boxes as well, such as environmental and social responsibility commitments, which are very important for all of the relevant uh, energy companies. So these arrangements provide protection against fluctuations in the energy prices, 
And no wonder that the large international companies, you know, companies that go by the name of Facebook, Microsoft, Google, they are <clears throat> they're all committed to go 100% renewable. So it makes sense economically. And as regards the second point, Horea, uh, technology indeed plays an important role in the economics of renewables. As both wind and solar parks use the latest technologies that are core to their business, can bring down the operating cost and increase profitability. So we've seen it in the business models of our very own clients um, who are investing in this asset class across the region. So it is only natural, I believe, that many funds and other investors busy in this uh, renewable space are looking into investment opportunities based on innovative and sustainable energy sources. For example, green gas, electric vehicles, clean power. Um, and we've seen many new technologies and startups emerging along the way, um, providing a broad range of services and pushing into somewhat futuristic solutions. We soon will start, I believe, using smart meters that allow customers to choose the type of power they wish to consume and then switch to the smart um, smartphones. The next step may be for the same meters to auto-switch between the suppliers, depending on the customer preferences. I know it might sound something out of a sci-fi, but I believe it's very much on our doorstep. Over to you. Thank you, Eva. Well, on this positive note, I think we conclude today's podcast. I invite you to look for more uh, statistics and background stories in our emerging Europe M&A report that you can uh, download from our website. Of course, you can reach out to me, Slavomir, Eva or Helen uh, in order for us to discuss more opportunities in the region, but also to any of our colleagues throughout uh, CE as we are present in all jurisdictions involved. It was great talking to you today. Bye, everyone.